the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, episode 161. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hello, Unruffled listeners. We are popping in at the top of the show to share with you several ways that you can help support the podcast. First, you can become a patron of the show by donating to our Patreon fundraising campaign. Please consider supporting our consistent effort in bringing you weekly content on creativity and recovery, all for less than the price of a latte. For just a dollar an episode, you will receive early access to each week's show as our way of saying thank you. If every listener did this, we would be over the moon. The link to our Patreon campaign is www.patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. And that's not it. You can share our show on social media or with your friends, and you can subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating on iTunes. All of this helps our little show immensely, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now on to the show. Good morning, Unruffled listeners. This is Sandra, alone, flying solo. Um, We mentioned last week at the podcast, I think, I think we mentioned last week that Tammy is taking the month of May off. Um, she has some family stuff to deal with and it's really heavy and she just um, couldn't do it all. And sometimes we need a break and she needed one. And instead of taking a break from the podcast, which we thought about, we considered that, we decided to, or putting the podcast on pause, I guess I should say, um, I decided to take over this month and bring you guys some um, authors that we've been wanting to talk to for a while. We've had several authors in our queue, and since you may have found some more time to read as of late, um, we thought it was appropriate that um, we talk to some authors about their books and maybe turn you on to some new things to read this month. Um, And today I'm super excited to talk to my friends Spike Gillespie and Steve Eckelman about their book, Sleeping Bees, Why Doing Nothing Matters. I'm going to read their bio first. Um, Spike, Spike Gillespie is a critically acclaimed author of nine books and countless magazine articles. Her work has appeared in the New York Times Magazine, The New York Times, The Washington Post, Real Simple, GQ, Esquire, Elves, Smithsonian, National Geographic Traveler, and many other publications. Spike also provides commentary for Austin's NPR affiliate, KUT. She has been voted best nonfiction writer, memoirist in Austin. Um, 2016 through 2019 by readers of the Austin Chronicle. She lives on a ranch near Austin with a whole lot of critters. You can follow her on Instagram and Facebook at Spike 
Gillespie and subscribe to her YouTube channel, which is youtube.com backslash Spike Gillespie. And Steve Eckelman is an award, Emmy award winning producer, writer, and actor. His latest project is the book, Sleeping Bees, Why Doing Nothing Matters, co-written with Spike, available at sleepingbees.com and Amazon. In 2018, he won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Historical Documentary for Tower. He has worked on over 20 feature films, including Rushmore, Wedding Crashers, Cars, Marley and Me, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou, Starsky and Hutch, Office Space, Shanghai Night, and The Darjeeling Limited. He lives in Austin with his shadow dog, a blue healer named River. You can follow Steve and River on Instagram at RiverSteveEckelman. So with that, welcome to the show, Spike and Steve. Thank you. Hello. Good morning, Sandra. Good morning. Thank you, Sandra. And also, uh, our thoughts are with Tammy. It's uh, very sad, but also nice that she's given herself permission to do that. I know, right? Because we often don't. We think, and I've, you know, and I've learned some of these tips from reading your book too. But yes, we often don't. We pound ourselves with shoulds, right? We should be able to mm-hmm. take care of our, you know, parent that's, you know, having to go through cancer treatments and keep up with all of our other things that we normally do. Um, because we've because we should be able to and yeah i think it's giving ourselves permission to take breaks sometimes is uh not only valuable but it's um it's hard to do (laughs) i agree it is hard it's hard to get over that hump and then also wondering what people will think of me and will they will they will they say anything behind my back or those kind of things. So it takes some courage. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Well, okay. So normally we start the show by asking our guests to um, tell our listeners how they came to the decision to quit drinking. But I think I want to start our time together Um. Asking you guys how you came to the idea to write a book together and bonus points if it <laughs> includes a bit of recovery. <laughs> okay, I, I'll start a little bit and then I'll let uh, Steve jump in. It, it very, very much um, connects to sobriety. Uh, Steve had asked me to share my story in a meeting and um, I agreed and I, you know, I said I was very nervous. Um, and then also, uh, I, I happened to, I did not know Steve very well. I barely knew him at all. Um, I knew he had a cool dog and, uh, <laughs> but I did know he was in the movie business. And at the time I had just finished a, um, a screenplay that was like very extremely loose adaptation of my last book. And so I, I, I sent him a little note and I said, look, I'm sure a lot of people try to like schmooze onto you. But um, I, have, I do happen to have a screenplay. Would you be willing to um, take a look at it? And so we sat down and, and probably, I don't know, 10 minutes into the conversation, he said, uh, I will look at your screenplay, but I think we should work on a project together. 
so that was a, that was not this project. It was another project. And then we did another project, which we can tell you about those projects if you want. And then last summer, just um, we we are very, very equal in this collaboration. And so sometimes one of us comes up with the idea or the other one, but then we both jump on board. So Steve, do you want to add to that? Oh, uh, yeah. I uh, well, The thing with Spike is that I remember her coming into meetings and being very like succinct and articulate in what she shared and her shares would last maybe 24 seconds and I got so much out of them and so I knew there was this sort of sharp mind going on that was trying to figure out if maybe she was going to come to meetings because she would show up occasionally. Um, so when we met I knew that she had had a, a background in textiles and um, <clears throat> that meeting that we had about the script I I kind of passed on the script, but uh, one thing I've learned in AA is to sort of get dominion over myself, not abandon myself. And so I had the, uh, and it's okay to sort of ask people if they're interested in doing things. And so I asked her if she would be interested in doing a, a television show about her, about textiles, wherein like Anthony Bourdain's show, she would be the host and we would travel all over the world to different countries studying textiles. Oh, I, I would watch that. I also work yes, in textiles. Yes, I right <laughs> up your aisle. <laughs> so that was our beginning, and we had a great time with that, and are still interested in making that with the right kind of people and production company. Um, but, uh, it, you know, uh, we have a great working relationship. It's, it is very equal. It's also very uh, polite. Um, we don't tell each other what to do. We ask each other questions. And these are like principles, I think, that I learned all in recovery. It's sort of like when I talk to somebody in a meeting or after a meeting or before or you know, on the phone, I'm talking to them not always about facts. It's about like how they are. What do you feel about this? It's a totally different language that I've learned in recovery and I use it really for work a lot now and it's a lot more productive and and a graceful way to live and to work. So mm, yeah, I I agree with that. I agree with that. I to have learned that those things in recovery to not always show up with an agenda right and just to um truly follow my curiosity which is like an intuition right that i didn't necessarily hear all the time before i got before i quit drinking right yeah well i think um it's it's I don't think I could ever like separate it out, but I feel like um, the collaboration, I don't feel like it. I mean, I, I know it. I'm, <laughs> I'm positive. The collaboration, the creative collaboration has really helped my sobriety and then running things through the program. And I'm also an adult children of alcoholics and dysfunction run like before I'll, I make a comment or something. There, there, there are sometimes I would come to a point where I'm like, Oh my gosh, can I, just make a comment here and not run it through all these filters, which was me talking to myself. Like sometimes it can be exhausting for me to run things through the steps, but it always 
always helps. And I, and I, um, you know, something I've learned about, so I quit drinking a very long time ago, but I didn't, I didn't uh, get into the program until late uh, 2017. And, you know, so um, Steve had, was ahead of me in understanding the program. So I learned a lot from observing and emulating him. And I would say, um, I, I, I really had to learn like how to make boundaries and speak up for myself. And in that first, right after our first meeting, um, I was really super interested and excited about collaborating. And I also had um, a, a nervousness. I'm an introvert. I'm very shy. Um, a lot of my lack of emotional sobriety has been around men. And I'm like, okay, this is a man asking to work with me. Am I going to um, acquiesce? Am I going to feel defensive? Am I going to blah, blah, blah. And so over time, I, I think that we have developed a real shorthand um, and we've communicated a lot about like, I don't want to, you know, hurt your feelings or I'm worried that I might say like, I might worry that he's going to take a comment the wrong way or whatever. Um, but just in continuing to run it through the steps and to, to pause and think about it, it's resulted in this really, really cool um, uh, process that we have. Mm, I love that. You know, I've said this before, but I think one of the things I have gotten out of going to especially co-ed meetings is seeing men in a different, like seeing a strong but vulnerable man um, you know, so much, and not that there aren't predators in AA like there are in, in out in the world, but but just seeing a a, a man that models um, uh, behaviors and characteristics that um, that you don't often see in, <laughs> especially if you've had complicated relationships with the opposite sex. Um, I've I, so I totally get what you're saying about that. Um, which by the way, I meant to mention this at the top of the show, but we're all coming to you guys from Austin or in and around Austin. You too, right, Steve? Obviously you live yes. in, Austin. in Austin. Yes. And Spike has, um, I've been lucky enough to call Spike a writing teacher and mentor for a while. And I'm Spike, I've mentioned your name probably a hand a dozen times at least on this podcast over the years. Thank you. All the ways that you've helped me um, uh, gain confidence as a writer um, and just your humor and brilliance. I've, I just look up to you a whole lot and Steve, I'm just was so excited to get to talk to you today and get to know you more. As a matter of fact, after reading your book, you, Steve, you and I have a lot in common, um, which I'll get to which I'll get to later, but um, why don't you, one of you guys tell me then what, what is doing nothing? Because I think that there's, you know, there's different intentions of nothing, right? And I love how you kind of meandered around the nothing and how you, in the end, gave uh, the reader permission to define it how they want to define it. Oh. Well, I think Steve okay. should answer this because he's the expert on nothing. I'm, he's I'm the expert learn, I'm at nothing. <laughs> yeah. He's a, he's You're a the G, student. He's good for nothing, as we say. <laughs> yeah. I will, I will try. And uh, one thing that uh, we found was uh, 
was just changing our language about the word is important because we're already doing nothing. Right. Um, I really like a Dutch word called Nixon, N-Y-K-S-E-N. It's the uh, conscious idleness undertaken in defiance against cultural pressure to be constantly productive. Um, and that's sort of uh, what I see as nothing. It's it's when I am idle, I'm conscious of it. So I'm, for me, it's not being rushed. And uh, what that does for me is it actually makes the day seem longer. It gives me a wealth of time, which I guess we call in the book time wealth. For me, when I started to take time to not uh, sort of move through the past, the the pauses in the day, I uh, I really started to learn about nothing. And in one of Spike's sections, she talks about it's it's true also in music. When one takes a rest in a note or a song, it's a space in between, in between the noise and the music. And for me, that's nothing. It's already in our lives. It's really for me being more aware of it, the having the courage to express that I am aware of it and kind of the courage and per give myself permission to enjoy those those times so right minus the guilt i think yeah the guilt is super powerful it has it has propelled me a lot throughout my life so i'm grateful for the guilt but i don't need it anymore and um i'm glad i don't need it anymore <laughs> yeah 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 you know i i quit drinking when I was 45 and it was like I woke up that that next day and said to myself Sandra you need to get to work <laughs> you know? and like I kind of hit the ground running like I was making up for lost time and I think before that I probably would have considered myself as like the typical Austin slacker so I kind of knew how to do nothing before I quit drinking but after that it was like I had a purpose and um and so you know, and slowly that has, I've slowed down quite a bit since that, you know, since then it's, you know, almost six years later, but, you know, I, I still find myself often, if I'm doing nothing, it sometimes makes me feel restless, you know, or sometimes it triggers, it triggers something that reminds me of being hungover. And in that time, you know, and all that time that I quote unquote wasted being hungover. Um, so, so what do you say to, to that person that, that is, is has a complicated relationship with doing nothing? Well, I'm, I'll say that there's a part in the book where we talk about what we call nothing fright. Actually, I'm going to back up and make a confession here. I am, and I know this is going to just make Steve probably wince. I'm actually multitasking right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I, there's a reason I'm doing that. It's because we're get our, our print books are arriving today and we're going to have a little book signing party. And I just, the, the, um, you know, I have a great Pyrenees. It's just, there's like mountains of mess here. So I, I'm currently multitasking. I'm not always 
doing nothing and sometimes I'm doing two things. But we talk about this thing called nothing fright uh, in the book. And I'm going to jump toward it to a later chapter where I decided, well, we both decided like to separately do this, try to do, to try to have a full day of not doing, right? And you know, the, the hilarious part is, is immediately I came up with a plan on how to do nothing. That's kind of funny. Um, but I knew, um, I had been to this 10 day silent retreat, which is not, in t you know, totally doing nothing, right? You're meditating. Not, you're never totally doing nothing. You're breathing or you're existing. But I, I already had done this experience of several consecutive days of, you, you know, you don't, all you do, you meditate, you sleep, other people prepare your food. And, I, and I'm glad I had that experience, but it was so intense. So looking forward to this single day of doing nothing so that I could write about it, my experience with that in the book. Um, we'd already tackled this topic of nothing fright, which is where you can have this you know, this restlessness, this fear, this anxiety, that it can, it can be tricky. And sure enough, that particular day, I had some more than single moments, like stretches of feeling that restlessness. And in some cases, it was as simple as, you know, I was going to make my coffee, I walked by the laundry, and I thought, oh, I should throw the laundry in. And then I had to stop myself and say, no, that's not part of doing nothing. Like, take, like, take a conscious pause. And then another thing that happened to be happening going on that day is um, I have uh, pretty severe PTSD. And, um, you know, part of that, part of my symptoms are anxiety and depression. And I was in a pretty bad depression at the time. And I decided that to, to go through with it anyway, uh, to, to take the day off. I had a little fear, like, is that going to be too much time to ruminate on this? My, my brain chemistry was in a haywire state. Um, and, you know, as I just tried to observe the day, I, it kind of came in waves. I'd, have, I'd be uncomfortable, but I'd do this thing, which I think I first learned from Thich Nhat Hanh's teaching, is you, instead of pushing away feelings or running away or, or trying to numb them with, you know, a substance or ice cream or whatever, is acknowledge it. Like, I see you despair or I see you depression. Um, I acknowledge you. Like, come on in. Um, what do you need from me? You know, how can I? And when I say that, I didn't like, that's almost a subconscious thing. I'm almost fluent in that exercise now because I've studied it a long time ago and I try to incorporate it in my life. But I, I, I know from my own experience that um, there can definitely be moments of restlessness. And the last thing I'll say about that is, <clears throat> I mean this really seriously. I am so glad that we studied talked about, thought about, and wrote about this book in the eight months prior to the quarantine, because I'll catch these, I'll, I, you know, I've been here at the ranch for however long we've all been locked up, and I'll catch these moments of um, wanting to think, oh, I'm bored, or oh, I feel restless, and because we've written about nothing fright, I'll see it, and I'll think, you know, I, I, I can make a different choice. I can actively make a different choice, and I can be okay with this, and that's been working every time or almost every time that was my favorite chapter i think by the way was nothing fright um i'm going to read actually i wrote down um, one thing that you wrote spike and i'm going to read that it's just a couple of sentences as i teach myself to not fear the emptiness of nothing i move into accepting the nothing acceptance leads to contentment contentment helps me understand 
that more nothing has the potential for more commit contentment. I love that. Thank you. I do, if I can just jump in for a second, I have to say that um, while Steve entirely wrote his sections, and while we gave each other feedback on our sections, sometimes there'll be a passage, and that one might be one of them, where um, Steve would, would give me some thoughts on editing, revision, and addition. And to my astonishment, I could take feedback from a man. <laughs> Getting back to that, what I was saying before about, you know, getting less defensive. And I, I so um, thank you. I'm glad you like that passage. And I, I also want to give Steve some credit for that too. Yeah, it's just beautiful. Um, and, and Steve, you are, you seem like, yeah, you're really like the Buddha of this whole nothing leads to contentment and then the potential for more contentment. Are you there, Steve? Are, is he still there? Oh, I am here. I had my mic off. Um, <laughs> We're going to call you Buddha from now on, Steve. <laughs> One of the things that you mentioned, uh, I guess I'll get to that in a minute, but was being around men and learning about more about men in AA. And I have the same experience of being around women, uh, learning and listening to more women's stories that and being exposed to those stories for the first time in my life um, in AA. And it's also true with different generations. Like my field of vision and uh, my circle of friends was fairly close to my maybe a few years, either direction of my age. And AA, I get to be around people from 18 to 88. And I hear all these wonderful things. I love to interact with older and younger people and people my own age um so that's been really wonderful um and then the thing about <clears throat> the kind of anxiety after i got sober i too became like super ambitious to to get busy make up for lost time and a lot of kind of guilt that i had not fulfilled my potential which was probably not the greatest thing in the world but it, it's certainly a, a strong motor for getting getting things done but yeah. um so that's been interesting but i feel like i'm happier i'm just as productive today but i'm happier happier person doing it this way but uh for as far as like uh my take on doing nothing i guess basically um it gives me dominion over myself um I am not uh, concentrating on other things so much. It's not selfish, but it's sort of like uh, what AA did and what this sort of nothing thing does is uh, give the gift of myself back to me um, and uh, allows me to pace myself. I do things kind of slowly, which I'd always been criticized for. And so it made me rush uh, because I didn't listen to myself. So little things like that, that might be peculiar to every one of us, um, we can kind of reach back to and, and make our own and not really have to listen too much to other voices. Mm, right, right. Yeah, I was going to add after uh, that, in, in that chapter um, about 
nothing fright. You, you did go on to say that, yeah, it's possible to find happiness in equal parts, hard work and sustain nothing. And I think that that's where I found my sweet spot too. And that's where I got truly happy is when I did find some purpose in my life, but then saddled that up with also doing nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, When I, I, when, when, um, Oh, sorry, go ahead, Steve. You want to say something? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we, I think we, we say it's all, it's not all or nothing. It's all and nothing. Um, Right. Let's take it all and, and hopefully, uh, enjoy it and i think it's also also learned in aa that it was okay to be good at things i remember a a man telling a story that the thing he got the most out of by doing the steps is that he learned how to do things perfect and um i had never heard that before but it resonated with me because i didn't feel like i had permission to do that and then he said what he did for his job which he was a locksmith oh yeah. Yeah, you're right. I get a, I mean, I'm a, I, one of the things I do is I'm a seamstress and I am a very slow, meticulous, thorough seamstress now. Now I, I was a seamstress when I was drinking as well. And I would have to pull out a whole lot of seams the next day. If I had a, you know, if I had had a wild night in my, in, at my sewing machine, <laughs> Um, now I take a whole lot of joy in, uh, being very meticulous and slow, you know, but then like I sell my wares as well. And if I, if I, if I sold them based on how much time I put into each piece, no one could, no one would ever buy those pieces <laughs> because they would be, I mean, even if I was paying myself minimum wage, I, you know, they would still be out of mostly everyone's reach. Um, so I've had to come to a place where it's, I just have, I just made the decision that these things are a labor of love and that's it. And, um, and I continue to, you know, go at that, go at that pace. And just because it's the journey, right? Not the destination all the time. And especially with textiles yet. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. You know, Spike, Spike is a knitter. Oh Oh gosh. Yeah. Right. If you, if someone actually, purchase one of your pieces that you know be like three thousand dollars right if you pay oh yeah people will say like uh, i had knitted a yoga mat bag and then more than one person's like you know you could sell those on etsy and i just i mean people just i need to not judge them for not knowing but i used really i used nora yarn it's just japanese yarn I mean, it, w- it really would have cost probably $3,000 per bag if I right. figured in the hours of the materials. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to open that Etsy shop right away. I'll be able to retire. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, right, crickets. Nobody's going right. to <laughs> $3,000. So I had to let that go. I had to detach from that and just, you know, and just charge for what charge to, you know, as to how it feels, what feels right. And, and, and I'm, and that lets me, that allows me to keep going at the pace that I like to go. And so, um, yeah, I, I resonated with that a lot. Steve, you mentioned 
in one of your passages. I think it, I, I'm trying to, I think you were talking about uh, your take on um, stage fright and you called it life fright. And I loved that term. Um, yeah. But you, you said there was a sentence there that said, you go, I go to my magnolia. Can you put that? I loved that so much. Everybody hoping, loved that. That's like, you were that's talking the line about the a book. Yeah. I was hoping you were talking about a flower, the magnolia flower, because it's one of my absolute favorite flowers. And it has been since I was a kid because we had magnolia trees growing up, growing all around our house out in, in behind the Piney Vale in East Texas. And so can you tell me, please, what is, what does that mean yes. to you? I'll try. If I choke up, I will hit done speaking and let y'all take over for a okay. while. Um, <laughs> but uh, I would say a couple of years into sobriety, I was kind of felt a little flat and wasn't happy. And uh, I had wanted to be happy. That was really a goal of sobriety. Um, to I think it says even in the big book about utopia on earth. And I wasn't getting it. Um, so I did some work and uh, started driving north from Austin on I-35. And I drove three hours to Dallas to my elementary school and because uh, I wanted to recapture what I was like at eight years, at 10 years old. Um, I went there and I got there at about four and uh, uh, I walked up to the fr front door and I started to remember what I was like at 10. And I went into the into the hallway, <clears throat> excuse me, and saw the notes that teachers, you know, write in elementary school to the students, very encouraging and loving. And this feeling of like who I wanted to be came back to me. And that was uh, who I was as a kid. So I went up to my, uh, to the second floor, to my fourth grade classroom. And I walked in, it was empty. And I started to smell everything that I used to smell and it brought me right back to fourth grade. And, uh, and I sat down, I knew right then that I had, had what I wanted to find, which was a goal of how I wanted to sort of live the rest of my life. And that was as my 10 year old self. And um, the magnolia is a tree that I used to climb outside of my window in Dallas up, up about 20 feet high and it was where I would sort of sit to get away from things when I was a kid and uh, that's my magnolia. Mm, that is beautiful. I might I love that. Too. I love that. You know it's funny I, I if I as I remember um, I never noticed this before I heard Steve talk about his magnolia tree but our uh, real life meeting house I mean where we met um, there's a magnolia tree in the front yard. I had never Aww. noticed it either. And then all of a sudden, uh, there it was, you know? Oh my gosh. I love to, I love that, Steve, that was one thing I was going to mention that we had in common. I was a tree climber too, as a kid. And, yeah. <laughs> and it was, we would, you know, generation X latch key kids, my brother and I would come home and, and it would be hours and hours before any parent would would show up and we would change our clothes and usually drop our shoes, 
go out barefoot, often go in separate directions. We had, you know, 10 acres that sort of surrounded our house. And um, yeah, we, I would climb a tree and just sit there and do absolutely nothing for hours. <laughs> That's so perfect. Yeah, yeah. It and makes me want to do it today. It does, right, exactly. Well, You're, no time like the present, y'all. It could be done. You guys could climb the same tree, just six different <laughs> feet, six different branches. Right, <laughs> yeah. I know. And, and yeah, and we can't hug people right now, so... Um. <laughs> That's I can hug the tree. a tree is the next the next best thing. <laughs> I think what I loved the most about your book is because when I f first pulled it up, I thought I'm going to need to know how to do like I need to know how to do nothing. And after reading it, I think what actually your book gave me permission to do was to change my narrative around doing nothing because I do do nothing for, you know, definitely through, throughout the day, you know, I meditate, I, I, I go for a run, but I stop and look at flowers and take photos. I'm like you spike, you mentioned about just, you know, taking good pictures with your, with your phone. I love, I, love taking photographs. I do the same and I, and I stop and look at flowers and I take pictures and I, you know, I let go, I don't time my runs or anything like that. And, you know, I hang out in bed with my kids and we just don't do, we laugh and we talk and we don't do anything. And I am also like you, Spike, I luxuriate at the Springs all the time. It's my, I learned that from Steve. Steve taught, I know I used to avoid the Springs. For 20 something years, I would not get in that water except rarely because it was so cold. I just, I walk around like a little kid behind Steve, like whatever he does that makes him happy. I'm like, I'm going to try that. <laughs> I love that. Well, and you know, that's, that's that phrase that you hear in, in, in the rooms of AA is you find, they say to find somebody that has what you want. And um, yeah, that sounds like. That sounds like what it's also like was. Um, Montessori school, you know, when the kids lead each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They, like mimic and monkey each other. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think you explained it better than I than almost almost we can about the book. It is really changing your narrative, and that you already are doing a lot of these things. Right. Right. Changing the narrative, and then coupling that with not feeling the guilt for, for doing nothing. And that's probably the, the next level that I need to continuously work on is, you know, not beating myself up with the shoulds like we talked about at the top of the show. Well, I don't know if you picked up on this, um, but I'll, t I'll give you a little bit of VH1 behind the scenes. When we began writing the book um every chapter started out with um broad uh concepts from our memoir writing workshop like i didn't you know how we, we do have anonymity in workshops so i wouldn't reveal anything that anybody wrote but i talked about how it, a lot, lot that i always say in writing workshop you know i can't teach you how to write but i can give you a safe place and i can give you permission and so we use that as our infrastructure through the whole book. And I know that Steve and I discussed amongst ourselves, like if we send this out to an agent, 
we I would I think we both did this. I don't, I try to only speak for myself, but I remember a conversation where we talked about having this imaginary agent that would look at the book and say like pick a lane. Is it about doing nothing or memoir writing? And then like many iterations down the road, I had this idea. I was doing nothing. I was hanging out in the shower. Whenever I'm in, often when I'm in water, I'm in flow and ideas come to me. And I thought, what if we pulled out all those references to workshops? And then I thought, Steve will never go for this, but we try it. And so um, a lot of the ideas in there about doing nothing came from things that I learned from leaving writing workshop for so many years. I think, mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's just like you can apply the steps, um, you know, recovery steps to many areas of life. I just, I feel like this book, there's, uh, there are ideas in there that you can apply. I mean, you could also, I wouldn't recommend this, but you could apply to doing something, you know, it's a, it's a, I, and as we became more aware of these topics, when we wrote about them, um, permission in particular, I would see, like, I had this heightened awareness, you know, Rick Ocasek died, and in his obituary, he talked about, um, how, or would it, he didn't talk in his obituary, he was dead, but he was quoted in his obituary as, um, you know, he had to give himself permission to write poetry. Patti Smith talks about permission, and I, I've collected a bunch of uh, articles where people really talk about you know, needing to allow themselves. And it, it makes me, I don't really want to say sad, but it's its sort of these uh, empirical data about how so many of us um, struggle with self-esteem or, or the comparison game. Like I could never be, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm just trying to think of, uh, I can never be Nick Cave. <laughs> right, right. But I, don't need, I don't need to compare myself to Nick Cave. You know, I can be, I can enjoy his, his music and writing and I can take inspiration from his creativity, but I'm not in competition with Nick Cave. Right. I think that that's exactly it. It's, it's, you know, giving ourselves permission to define what a good life is and, 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 and be done with it and not, not, you know, not give in to the comparisons. That's so easy to do. Oh, it's so easy. And that's like, to me, that's the really big root of my addiction issues is just this competitive, um, you know, imagine I have, I sometimes I'll have imagined, um, I don't, I was the word foes, whatever, like I'll, I will imagine a, a limited resource somewhere and feel like if any, if I perceive anybody threatening that resource, I, it, it'll hit a real, real ancient button in me because I grew up with, you know, eight siblings. Um, and I'm, and this is something I'm working on now in my life is that it's not, what, what's one of those corny memes? Is it like, love is like pie? Or, right. <laughs> it's not, a, it's not like, pie. It's not, oh, pie. It's not pie. Thank you. Yeah. It's, right. Yeah, there's just a pie. limited it's number of slices. Yeah, yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. That I messed that up tells you a lot about the work <laughs> I have in front of me. <laughs> Well, I and you can, thought, yeah, go ahead, Steve. I've always thought when I hear somebody tell their story, like at a speaker meeting, that I'm hearing a living obituary. It's like somebody is still alive and telling me how they've changed their life completely and like changed their destiny. And it's it's always really inspiring and uh, kind of fascinating. I don't know anybody, any other places really where that's done is as frequently obviously as AA. Right, right. And, you know, because 
and and we say this often on this podcast because you've done that that's proof that you can change anywhere anything in your life <laughs> yes right because it's, it's so really monumental. it's really 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 cool it's it's super cool that like you know i'm an old dog i'm not being self-deprecating i'm just using an old you know adage but uh and i can learn new tricks it's it's like it is super cool I have, I was I was hooked on a person who said once uh, that I'll never forget. He said the first day, his first day in AA was the greatest day of his life, and uh, he didn't know that until four years later. And um, and then he said, um, "Are you willing for today to be the greatest day of your life?" And I was like, "No, I'm, I'm not. This is not going to be a great day." But literally, how do we know when the greatest day of our life will actually happen? So um, I've always been willing to have it be the worst day of my life. So when I heard that, I started to try to try to work on that a little bit. Right. Yeah. And then that's when I, I doesn't Marianne Williamson say that a miracle is just a shift in perception, you know, that's when you, you start just seeing little or big miracles in your life is when you just change your perception about something. Well, and I have something uh, along that. Were you finished your thought, Sandra? Sorry, I got all No, I, I mm -hmm. in. No. I, so I, I feel like this is something, it was, okay, there are many fun, cool, wacky things about collaboration, but it was like I was learning as I, I mean, I sometimes when I'm writing a memoir on my own, maybe I'm learning about myself. That's a kind of a lot like a fourth step, right? Um, but I, but in, in Steve had a lot of these concepts that I didn't necessarily understand. And I would need, I would ask him to explain. So this thing about like the happiest day of your life, I recently, it dawned on me that um, I would wake up in the morning. I hangovers fed this. I, I was raised in an anxious worrying family that would always like be looking for the latest horrible headlines. So there was that, but I feel like I would wake up every morning and uh, think like I'm in trouble or like, how bad is the day going to be? Because I had a, you know, difficult parent. And, um, and then of course, having hangovers for 20 years, I realized now, well, that was just a handy way to feed that, um, that habit, you know, like, Oh, I feel like shit and I feel shame and I feel horrible and all that. And now, you know, I've been, um, I've been a non-drinker almost continuously since two, since 2000. But I, I realize now that I've shifted, um, that I still very often would wake up in the morning, you know, maybe looking like having dread or looking for dread or creating dread. And so when Steve suggests this, like, it could be the happiest day of my life, Something I've been doing affirmations for about a year and a half now. I, they still make me like giggle and feel kind of ridiculous. Mm -hmm. They also work. They also work. They also work. And one, yeah, one thing that I will very often do in the morning when I wake up is just say, uh, "I'm going to be happy today. I'm going to have a really good day." You know, and and I think it. I, I my experience is that it sets intent. I have way more um, good happy days uh, than I have. Um, uncomfortable days. And by happy, I don't mean top of the roller coaster. It's this thing that I used to refer to as being exotically calm because it seems so rare. I, I can drop that modifier now. It's not exotic. It's a, it's a way of life that's, um, it's a massive, massive shift for me. Massive. 
Right. And in doing so, it becomes a choice and it, it, you get to have agency over your day and you become so much less a victim of circumstance. Yes. Yeah. 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 And then you, and then your day becomes things that you get to do and not that you have to do. And, um, and that includes doing some of nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I was talking to a friend yesterday, uh, in recovery and just trying to, it's, you know, we have the whole attraction, not promotion. And I, uh, he's, he's a little newer and, uh, I try, I try to not like, you know, scream out to the heavens, but this worked, but this worked. And, um, I, I said, you know, um, if you can, I don't want to really give away too much of his story. That's why I'm pausing here. I just want to do paint with super broad strokes here. I encouraged him to wake up in the morning. Actually, when I I encouraged him, (laughs) he looked at me, he just made barfing face, but it was, I was like, why don't you write yourself a card before you go to sleep, you know, dear your name and just say, I'm really, and you know, I'm really glad to see you. What do you want to do today? And then, you know, set it on your table. And when you wake up in the morning, open it, like take yourself out on a date or whatever. And you know, he, it, he it's too soon for him to, to uh, wrap his head around that. But I do that stuff all the time. Like I ask myself, what do you want to do today? Where do you want to go? I am partly that's from the HCA program too. When I, when I'd hear this term, like you'll learn to reparent yourself. And I just think that is just bullshit. Can I say bullshit? <laughs> Sorry. And, uh, and, uh, and then I, I figured it out. Like I practice it and I practice it. It's another thing that Steve has really uh, demonstrated for me, you know, being further along the path is you can do what you want to do and you don't have to worry what people think about you. Um, and I already had a little bit of a self-care game going before I got into my last relationship, which Actually, which now has it's been three years now since that ended, but um, I I had lost the practice when I was in that was a really toxic relationship, and coming out of it, um, I slowly started to wake up in the morning and say, um, "What do you want to do today?" And what you know, I I another good interesting thing about this quarantine. I'm really sorry for the people who are suffering. But some of the reflect, reflecting I'm doing is I can look here in my house and I think, what am I going to do when they let us out? And all the things I want to do are things that I established, these habits I established in my recent past in recovery, which is all to say I love the life that I have now. I cannot wait to go sit in seat A9 at the Violet Crown and get a grilled cheese sandwich with French fries. I can't wait to jump in Barton Springs. Mm, I can't wait to you. go have go to real life recovery meetings. All of these things that I do in my life that bring me joy, that don't involve a big financial investment, um, that all sprung out of learning self-care. Yes. Like one thing that relates also to our book and AA is that I've always, everybody always says AA is a program of action, but I, I mean, for me, I always think of it as a program of inaction. Also, it's, I learned so many things to not do now. Um, and especially early on, the main thing obviously is stopping drinking. That's much more important than doing, um, is not doing. And the other thing that I've found over time, and maybe you have too, Sandra, is that the things I get involved with don't get worse. Like, um, and that even applies to my day, obviously. My day never gets worse, usually. 
because project. you're there, because you happen to be there in the mix of it. Yeah. <laughs> like projects, I don't like destroy anything seems to just not get worse. Right. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> you're right. That is nice. <laughs> I love that. Um, okay. Well, you guys, I, we're coming up to about an hour today and this has just been awesome. And before we usually end the show, um, with sharing, we have our guests share with our listeners things from their unruffled toolbox. And those are usually things that just keep you calm, less agitated. They can be, uh, creativity focus they could be they could be recovery focused or they could be just doing nothing focused and um i'm gonna let you guys share a couple of those things but before that can you tell our listeners how they can find your book uh you know where they can find you on the internet and instagram and all of that maybe if you want to talk about something that you're working on for the future feel free to do that as well okay great steve do you want to start off Oh, uh, okay. Well, our book is out now on online and sort of as a public service, we're giving it away for free and it's free. It's for free download. The title is sleepingbees.com or sleeping bees. Why doing nothing matters. And you can find it at sleepingbees.com and it's available for free download, but you can also buy a print copy. Um, we have some, another project, but I'll let Spike go ahead with whatever else on sleeping bees. Okay, well, I'll say uh, too that we have an Instagram. It's at 55 waffles. That's the number five, five in the word waffles at 55 waffles. And we also have a Facebook page, which if you just do a little search for, I think it's, I think it's like facebook.com slash sleeping bees book, or you can go to my personal Facebook page where I'm just spending like every half hour putting up a new post. <laughs> about how excited I am. Right, which you, um, your Facebook page is, a, is your personal Facebook page, but anyone can, it's like you don't have any privacy settings on it. Am I right? Well, I have a few boundaries, believe it or not. Okay, but <laughs> I'm, just saying, I'm just saying that I, a person doesn't have to friend you to see your post. Correct. Yes. It's open. That right. is right. It's open. And I have a public figure page too. I, I don't even like saying that. It feels so weird. But I finally had this spillover of I'm at the 5,000 friend limit. So there's also a spillover page. But we're really um, starting to populate the, our, our um, book related uh, Facebook and Instagram so that people can go straight to those pages and not have to also weed through pictures of my dogs. <laughs> yeah, mine is a lot about my dog and my my insta is also public but i uh i was just gonna say as far as the three two as far as tools i'll, I'll go yes, first please um the first thing i do is i i say a prayer that i heard about in a, in a meeting and it's an indian prayer and i say it's just two words which was helpful and it's i'm here and i say that when i wake up um and i usually say it to myself without out not out loud but another way to do it is to go outside and say it out loud and say i'm here uh, the other one is that i sit when i'm feeling a little out of sorts or unregulated i sit and i 
put my hands out open and I open my legs. And then I look to the left and I bite the tip of my tongue and I breathe three times. And then I look to the right and I bite the tip of my tongue and I breathe three times. That's really helpful for grounding. And then the third thing is that I want to give a big shout out to my smartphone. I think that I used to resent my phone and I used to listen to people who say we're on them too much and that we're too buried in them. But for me, it's an incredible recovery resource. I can uh, use it creatively. I can write. I can record. I can take photographs. I can talk to other alcoholics or other non-alcoholics. Um, I can do research on things I hear in meetings. I can write down notes about what people say in meetings. So for me, having my smartphone is just another um, part of my toolbox. Those are all great. Steve, I have to ask you, Spike, before you, before you say you You can hear me on the edge of talking. Did you hear me? On I, I can't, I can't. But Steve, <laughs> I have to ask you if you've seen the movie. It's an Amazon original movie, which by the way, I liked that you noted that you like to watch TV in the book. But um, it's called Troop Zero. <laughs> have you seen this movie, Troop Zero? Oh, should I see it? Yes, you have to see Yay! it. Yes. I'll see it today. So it's, an, <laughs> it's an Amazon original movie called Troop Zero. You'll thank me later. But uh, the words I'm here make a big appearance at the end. Oh. So you're, yes, you have to see it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Um, I'm, okay, I will my tools. I also, but before I take my tools, I just I'll, I want to real quick answer your question about projects. I'll just yes, give you please. like a teaser. So after we, well, we talk, I talk about this. I write about this in the book. After we finished putting together um, our, our TV show draft um, and send it off, there was this period, which I called the law. And I, I really, um, have a tendency or had, a, I still sometimes have a tendency to project. And because Steve and I work together every day, sometimes he'll just be the person I project all, all like whatever on. And so we had these, uh, this lull. And then one day um, Steve texted me and I'm pretty sure, or, or not texted, we don't, we don't communicate with our phones, messaged me. And uh, he said, I've got this idea for a, a novel um, and the protagonist is God. And I always tell people if anyone else had sent me that message, I would have written back like unsubscribe. <laughs> oh, my friend. Like that's too out there even for me. Um, and, and, uh, but because we'd worked on the TV show and I, I say this with all respect and I had a glimpse into how really, um, kooky, if I can, I use the word kooky, Steve, his ideas are just like very interesting. And I thought I'm going to, I love collaborating with him. I'm definitely going to try this. So we wrote this novel and it, and it poured out in like 70 days, a solid draft of it. Um, and, uh, we're going to, we're, we're going to go in and do some revisions. And then we've talked about it being a series, right? So I don't want to give away too much, but, um, God takes on a human form. Yeah, I have wonderful news while we're talking. The UPS truck is pulling up right now with the book. So exciting. So exciting. So, but anyway, we're doing a series about uh, God taking on a human form. And my tools are, I can put a lot of them under the, the one umbrella of um, 
routines and rituals. I used to live a very chaotic life. Now I have very set routines like walking, meditation, getting in Barton Springs when it's open, that sort of thing. Um, halt helps me a lot. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And pausing and asking people for their insights about stuff without, you know, flying off the handle, which is, I used to have a lot of serious anger issues. But I would say those are three tools. I keep a routine, check in with myself if I'm feeling stressed out, am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? And what was the third one I said? Pausing. Pausing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Pause while agitated. Do you mind, yes, Spike, if we say agitated. what? Do you mind if we say what? Uh, Anything more about what God, who God is? I'll tell you what, you do that while I take a <laughs> photograph of the UPS driver. <laughs> okay. In the first book of the series, uh, God comes back to earth as a pregnant woman. And at the end of the book, uh, she gives birth to the daughter of God. Oh, I love it. I <laughs> I love any kind of any kind of religious or or uh, Christian references or new stories that twist. What well, should we tell? Stories. What should we tell Sandra about our religious background? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I am not particularly into religion or anything like that, but I think it's a fascinating. Yeah, it's and I'm I'm not, I consider myself non-theistic, but it's not a parody or anything. It's a real, it's it's a cool. I must say, it's pretty uh, pretty cool book. And, I um, can't wait. Yeah, we had so much fun writing uh -huh. it. Uh oh, Willie. I can't Willie's wait. And and so before we say goodbye, one one quick question, which I meant to ask you guys. You guys self-published this book, right? You didn't go through a traditional publisher. That's right. correct. It would take, yes, go ahead. Steve, you oh, can have that one. Well, I guess with the pan, we finished it only about a month ago. So with the quarantine, we, we couldn't really wait on a publisher. I think it would have maybe come out next year. So we decided to, to self-publish um, and I'm excited about it. You sh yes, I love it. I, I, I think that that's, um, yeah, doing nothing while waiting for a publisher is. Um, How are you doing, lady? <laughs> I'm great. I'm so glad you're here with the book. Oh, this Thank is you. fun. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know we're recording, Sandra, but I, you can get you can catch me thanking my UPS driver. It's so exciting. <laughs> it is exciting. Well, congratulations, you guys, on the book. This is so exciting. And how 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 much longer can you download the free copy? The free ebook. We currently have the date of May seventh because Austin's allegedly opening on May eighth. But I, we've talked about like that could be that could be wiggly. We depending on how things go down and stuff, we we could adjust that. And then the audio book, which our friend Kevin is um, mixing right now, or whatever the term is you use, we'll be giving that away for free. Like even if we start charging for the e copies there will be a free audio book that will run for, we haven't, Steve and I haven't discussed yet how long the runtime is on that. Um, but uh, we're gonna, there will be, it'll be available for a while, one version or another at no cost. Okay, great, because this is airing on, on May 4th. And so, um, right, so as this airs, you guys, there'll be a, a little more time to get a free e-copy or if you want a hard copy, since Spike is receiving a giant box of them, um, they can purchase that from the site as well, right? That's right, that's right. 
Okay. And they can see our hilarious video. It's like, there's I love so much your video going on. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I love it. Well, you guys are making, nice to meet you. you're making quarantine oh, a lot more fun. Yes. Okay. What? Nice to meet yes, you. Sandra. Well, thank, thank you so much. This was really, really fun. Thank you guys so much. And, um, I hope you enjoy happy book delivery day. And, um, I love talking to you both. Yeah, that was wonderful. Thank you, Lee. Okay. Yeah, take it easy. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers, Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.